Hey, good morning. I'm excited for today, not just because we're going to have some food outside together. The, the weather was cooperating. It's nice. It's not going to be too hot, all that kind of stuff. But I'm just excited about wrapping off our series. Um, this uh, study that we're going to do this morning has, has been something that God put on my heart way in the beginning. If you don't know, this is part nine. Uh, we usually don't do series this long. And uh, we started this on Easter, Easter Sunday. And around that week, God gave me this idea for what we're going to talk about today. And so I've been waiting. But I wanted it to be the last chapter. If you don't know my teaching style, I have a tendency to teach this way. I teach and I, what I see is chapters. Um, so I'll give you the first week. In fact, next week as we step into a brand new series called Each Other, uh, next week is going to be the introduction chapter into what we're going to be talking about. You don't want to miss it because the intro really sets the pace, uh, gives you a real good understanding of where we're headed in this series. But um, So I start with an introduction, and then we just kind of work through chapters, and today is the final chapter of our Wonder series. So if you've missed it, it's kind of like coming in on the last five minutes of a movie. If you've missed the series, you want to back up uh, on our podcast and uh, make sure that you listen to some to kind of help you get an understanding. But today, um, you know, we've been talking about how people uh, were amazed by Jesus. Today, I thought it would be interesting to kind of uh, twist it up, flip it up a little bit to wrap off our series by talking about what amazes Jesus. Say that with me. What amazes Jesus? Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, hey, what amazes Jesus? Do you know? Do you know what amazes Jesus? Yeah, you know, there are only three times, and this is amazing, there are only three times in the New Testament narrative that speaks of Jesus being amazed by something. Two times we're told that Jesus was amazed by great faith. Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was amazed by the Roman centurion's great faith. In Matthew 15, and we talked about this, I think, like week 4 or 5, in Matthew 15, Jesus was amazed by the Canaanite woman's faith. Jesus was amazed by the great faith of two people. But on the flip side, we're told in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus was amazed at how many people had what? No faith. So two times Jesus is amazed in the New Testament by great faith, but in one situation in Mark 6, we see that he was amazed at how many people in this particular scenario had no faith. This is huge, that Jesus is amazed by a lack of faith. We're going to talk about that this morning for you know, just some brief time. But let's get some context. The, the writer Mark tells us in Mark 6, verse 1, that Jesus returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. I want you to circle that word hometown. Hometown. Uh, you know, if, if you're from here, then that doesn't count. But let's just, let's just talk to those that maybe are not from San Diego all of your life. Do you have a hometown that you've ever been back to? Like you go away and then, and then you come back to your hometown. Have you ever experienced things that have changed in your hometown? Yeah, I remember, I think it was like, what, 12 years ago, something like that. We went back to Northern California and I went to my hometown. I actually went to the house that I grew up in. I spent almost 20 years in one house growing up in this house on Tomeo Street in, in Fremont. And, and I remember 
I mean, when, when we walked up to the house and we took, I took some pictures of, you know, people out, you know, that own the house. Now, they probably were freaking out. We're like stalkers or something. But, but I'm, you know, walking around looking at the house. And I remember helping my dad build this and that. I remember hiding in these bushes. I remember that I lost a baseball over here. You, you know what I mean? Just, just things. When you go back home, it, it just, it kind of has this feeling of nostalgia and, and memories and all of that. And we read this passage, and sometimes we think that Jesus returned to his hometown to kind of get that. Well, actually, we're going to see that it was more than that. There was a purpose. What had happened is Jesus, um, he, he grew up in Nazareth, but, he, but actually uh, he started his ministry and really pushed his ministry uh, in the area of Capernaum, which is about 25 miles away from Nazareth. And so now Jesus and his disciples are traveling 25 miles southwest to go back to his hometown. Keep in mind, that's on foot, all right? He didn't call up, you know, Uber or anything to pick him up. I mean, he, he went on foot. And so they, they made this intentional journey. Jesus had lived there. He'd worked there. The people knew him. In fact, to give you a real idea of what this town was like, in the ancient configuration, Nazareth was about 60 acres total in this town. It was on a rocky hillside. The best guess is that the town had about 500 residents. So that's not exactly a booming metropolis, right? 500 residents. So can you imagine growing up in a town for 30 years of your life in a town of 500 people? Do you think those people knew you? Oh, yeah. They knew everything about you, right? I mean, you know, some of the ladies there probably changed your diapers, right? I mean, come on. I mean, they, they, they knew you, right? And that's, that's the kind of town that he's coming back to. This was an obscure little village town. To be honest, the only reason you even know of Nazareth it's, it's never mentioned in Jewish history. It's not mentioned in the Jewish Mishnah. It's not mentioned in the Jewish Talmud. Um, Josephus, who's a noted Jew, a Jewish historian, doesn't even talk about Nazareth. The only reason that you know Nazareth, you know about Nazareth, is because Jesus put it on the map. We wouldn't even know that Nazareth existed. And yet Jesus returns to this little town to visit these people who were the most familiar with him. Don't miss that. This is huge. The most familiar. And since Jesus is a recognized rabbi, Jesus is given a, a customary right. Uh, uh, synagogues would give visiting rabbis the opportunity to speak when they would gather on the Sabbath. And so that's what was taking place. So there on your outline, take a look at what takes place. The next Sabbath, Jesus began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Now, I want you to circle that word amazed, because that's the word that we've been using throughout our series. Amazed is a really strong word. In fact, it means suddenly being hit by something. You ever have a gut punch? No, not maybe not literally, so don't hit the person next to you. But, but have, you ever, have you ever had a situation just, boom, just impact you and you feel it? And maybe it's not just emotionally, you just, mm, it, you, you feel it. This is what amazed is all about, that, that you are moved by something. Jesus blew their minds. That's the phrase we would use today. Verse 2, it says, they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles. 
Now, they knew that this wisdom didn't come from some local yokel from Nazareth, right? They, they knew that this was more than, than this guy. And yet, look at what they're more concerned about is the origin rather than who Jesus is. And I don't want you to miss this. They heard his teaching. They, they not only heard about, but I'm sure probably saw miracles that he had done. They were amazed, and yet suddenly the amazement that they have flipped. Look again at your outline. It says, then they scoffed. He's just a what? Car- now, I take offense at that because my dad was a carpenter. My dad's dad was a carpenter. My dad's dad's dad was a carpenter. And for five years of my life before I stepped into ministry, I was a carpenter. So I take a little bit of offense at that. But what they're basically saying is he's just common. He's just ordinary. He's just a carpenter. This was a demeaning statement, by the way. They're saying he's not educated. He's not a religious leader. He's not not a Pharisee. He's not an elite person. He's just a blue-collar worker. He's just a carpenter. Hmm. He's not special. He's just common. Verse 3, they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. So he's, they're saying, look, he's just some common, ordinary Joe that, that comes from our little obscure village. He's nothing grand, nothing important, nothing special. Who does he think he is? He can't possibly be who he says he is. He can't possibly be the Messiah. He grew up here. We know him. Maybe he's just too big for his britches. That's the phrase that I remember hearing years ago. It's kind of a country phrase. Too big for your britches. They emphasize, notice what they emphasize. He's the son of who? Help me out. I know the screens are, are going to catch up to us, but on the outline, what's it say? The son of Mary. Oh, man. That's important. Because in their culture, it's normally paternal emphasis. It's, it's a patriarchal society. So they would emphasize, really they should have said the son of Joseph. Yeah, because he was adopted by Joseph. But, but they know. <laughs> they know because they know his family. He grew up there. They know the backstory. They know that there was a little bit of, uh, you know, questionable stuff going on. Like, you know, this supposed virgin birth stuff. Remember that story? I mean, they, they kind of knew, you know. They, they, I mean, Joseph was dead. So, I mean, you know, we don't really know for sure. But even if Joseph is dead, they sh- still should have called him the son of Joseph. But they, but they didn't do that. They were calling him the son of Mary because it was a slam. It was slander. They were slandering Jesus for his possible illegitimate birth. I mean, you know, they, they were probably having conversations. You know, Mary, Mary said it was God. Did you see the pregnancy test? I didn't see it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. We weren't there. Mary says supposedly that the angel spoke to her. But we don't know that for sure. So whose kid is he really? I mean, come on. Mary said this, but we don't, we don't really know. Jesus was being rejected 
by the very people who knew him most. They were, they were stuck on the idea that Jesus is a nobody from a nowhere family with perhaps an illegitimate birth who is just a common guy. How can he be, possibly be more than just a carpenter? That's what they were saying. The Son of God was standing there. The Son of God was teaching in their midst. And in verse 3, they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Hmm. You know, the, the fascinating thing about us as human beings, um, in my line of work, one of the things that, we, that I focus in on is studying the behavior of people and the, the reason that people come up with attitudes and ideas and the way, the way that they are shaped Um, by those attitudes and ideas, then begin to shape the lifestyle and the lives that they live out. And so um, I I look at this and I think about how their, their failure to recognize and realize who Jesus is, is because of a lack of accepting or understanding what I think is spiritual things. They were seeing him only on a natural level. They were dismissing the fact that the supernatural was taking place. And sadly, they miss out on what Jesus wants to do in their lives. Take a look at verse 4. Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. Wow. Wow. It's interesting throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as a prophet. Um, Again and again, we see that popping up in the New Testament, the narratives. People thought that Jesus was a prophet, that he was someone who spoke for God. And and the, the crazy thing is he was received in other areas, other places. He was even received in non Jewish areas. We've seen that all throughout this series. But in his hometown, he is rejected. By the people who know him most, he's rejected. They had watched him grow up, and they thought, there's nothing special about him. Why should we believe in him? Here's um, something that I want us to hang on to, and this is, to me, this is not a a fill uh, on on your outline, but to me, this is a really important point. It's possible to become too familiar with Jesus. Let, let, me, let me put it another way. It's possible to become too familiar with church. It's possible to become too familiar with Christianity. That all of a sudden, this familiarity causes you to miss out on what Jesus is really wanting to do in your life. You become too comfortable. And I'm I'm speaking to those of us maybe that have had years in this whole Christianity thing, this all following Jesus, this going to church kind of experience. We've had maybe years in that, and it's so easy, and I speak from experience, it's so easy to get comfortable in this. And, And... You kind of go through the motions week in and week out. 
and miss out on what Jesus really wants to do in your life. I mean, when, when was the last time you experienced the changing power of Jesus in your life? Honestly, if you have to stop and think about it, it's too long. We, we've never had the opportunity to experience Jesus face-to-face like these people are experiencing. But we do have the opportunity to experience Jesus' power and Jesus' teaching every time we come for worship together like this on Sundays. And all too often we come half-heartedly. Our, our, our mind is busy. Our hearts are closed. Right? We're, we're thinking about everything else but what's going on here. We're, we're worried about everywhere else but here. Where the presence of Jesus is trying to invade your life. And we miss it. And then we leave and go home and we wonder why we didn't get anything out of church that day. It's so easy to grow accustomed to going to church and doing the Christian things that you lose sight of who Jesus is. It's so easy to get into this rut and and you come to church Sunday after Sunday and you know the songs and you know the routine and you know what we're gonna do and you know the order. We're gonna have a fast song and we're gonna have some prayer and maybe a slow song and then we're gonna do this and then Bart's gonna get up and then we're done and we might have a song at the end and then we go home. We we, we get into this routine and this rut and, and it's too easy to go through the motions and we miss out on the fact that Jesus is here and he wants to do something in our lives. Just like the people in Nazareth. Look at verse 5. This verse. (laughs) This verse bothers me every time I read it. So Jesus was not able to work any miracles there except heal a few sick people. By putting his hands on them, he was amazed at how many people had no faith. You know why that verse bothers me? Because I believe in an unstoppable God. I believe that Jesus is all-powerful, that Jesus can do anything, that Jesus can do the impossible. And yet I read a verse like verse 5 in Mark 6 that tells me that Jesus was not able. Why? He was limited to healing a few sick people. You know why? Because there was no faith. No one believed. So so don't miss this. There's some physical needs that are met, but nothing happens spiritually. Nothing happens spiritually in the lives of anyone there that day. Don't, Don't forget where they were. They were in synagogue, which we can take it into our culture 
They were in church. And nothing happened spiritually in their lives that day. In church. And Jesus was there. I think this happens all too often. People come to have their needs met. They go to church, but they don't open their heart. They don't open their mind. And they don't grow in faith. One of the, well, really the, the, the core mission, the, the, the purpose of what, what we do, what we do in this room on Sundays our, our teams are moving towards one purpose, one goal. It's so that you and I can sense the presence of God. You and I can hear the voice of God. And you and I can respond to God. The problem is, all too often we don't do that. All too often we... We're not even aware of the presence of God when we come into the room. I'm, I'm just speaking to you as your pastor today. Is that okay? Because I think, I think we miss so much of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. If we come into this room rushed, if we come into this room closed-minded, if we come into this room busy, I'm not saying that we need to check our brains at the door. That's not anything of what I'm saying. What I am saying is that I think we can go through the motions of this space each and every week and miss the fact that Jesus wants to do something in our lives. Jesus will never force his power on you. Did you hear that? I mean, that's what this verse says to me. There was no faith. Did he force it? Mm -mm. He was unable to work there. He will never force, he will never violate your ability to choose to trust him. I want you to get this down, and this is a huge truth that you and I need to grab today. I am the only one who can limit what Jesus does in my life. I am the only one who can limit what Jesus does in my life. This is the ultimate disaster of having no faith. It, it, it literally shuts a person off from what Jesus can do in their life, from what Jesus wants to do in their life. It's no wonder that Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith in these people. Yeah, because he wanted to do so much for them. I mean, come on, let's back it up. This was his hometown. These were the people that he grew up with. These are the people that he loved, that he cared for. Don't you think in his heart of hearts, he wanted to do something for them? He was out doing things for everyone else. Don't you think when he came home, he wanted to bless these people? I'm sure he did. And he didn't have a chance. Don't you think when you and I come together on a Sunday 
to worship together, to sing songs like we sang this morning, that his name would be lifted high, that he can do the impossible. All of these, don't you think he is so ready to do something in your life and in my life when we come together for the purpose of worshiping him and listening to him and hearing him speak, when we come together for those purposes, don't you think Jesus is standing by ready to do something in our lives? I do. And don't you think he's amazed when we turn and leave through those doors not even the little bit affected by the fact that he was in the room. Hmm. I think sometimes we take this for granted. I mean, we, we treat Jesus like he is a common man, but he is not, friends. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is still as strong as he ever was. Jesus has, he hasn't lost any of his power. Jesus still is the one who gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He's still the one who feeds the crowds with a miracle. He's still the one who raises the dead and walks on water. Just because he has come into our little town doesn't mean that Jesus has changed. He's still all powerful. Just because he comes into our little church and our our little lives doesn't mean that he has changed. He is still all powerful and he wants to do something in your life and in my life. And the reason that things are not changing in my life, the reason that things are not changing in your life is I limit what Jesus does in my life by my lack of faith in who he is. I limit what Jesus does in my life by my lack of faith. When you first experienced Jesus in your life, when you, when you were first aware of Jesus doing something in your life, you were amazed by the power of Christ. I think I told you I don't think it was last week, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that I had the opportunity to go back to the little church that I grew up in, well, kind of grew up in for some key years of my life. And, and um, it was the church that I experienced salvation, where I came to know Jesus as my Savior. And, and I had the opportunity to return there on this trip that I had mentioned earlier at my hometown. And, and I think I shared with you that there was somebody there and they opened up and I went into this classroom and this was the classroom that Mrs. Walker, Sister Walker, she, she said the prayer and I prayed the prayer that day. And I experienced Jesus for the first time. And I could, I could take you back to that but I'll just be honest with you. It was a long time ago. I was seven years old. It was a long time ago. Am I still amazed like I was then? I mean, I've, I've grown up. You've grown up. Time has passed since that first encounter, that first experience, that first being aware that Jesus He's there and that he wants to do something in your life. That, that first experience, time has passed. 
And have we lost some of the amazement? Have we lost some of the attractiveness of that? We become too familiar. We become too comfortable. We, we become busy and indifferent and tired. And life becomes complicated. You need to be amazed by Jesus again. Whatever you are going through, whatever you are facing, whatever, wherever, you need to be amazed by Jesus again. I think your God is too small. You need to be blown away by who Jesus is. Blown away by what he can do in your life. If there is anything that I can say to you when we wrap off this series, is stay amazed by Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me?